Hey there. Hello. So I think I told you, but Kyle and I have been watching that 2000s documentary series. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> I have a great one. So we, we ended up okay. finishing that and we went to the 90s documentary series. Okay. The same like documentary. It's the same like o- overarching series. I yeah. Guess. Like Tom Hanks produces it, apparently. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, we switched to the 90s because we finished the 2000s. We're going backwards for some reason. Mm hmm. And they talked about Y2K at one point. Do you remember anything from Y2K? You were older than me, so. Yeah. And uh, are still older than me. I just remember that it was like, it was kind of scary seeming. I thought it was like total conspiracy theory. Like, I didn't think it was real. Mm, I mean, it wasn't complete conspiracy theory. It was like a concern. It was a pretty big, it was pretty like well well known, obviously, but like people took precautions, I guess, and and were concerned about it. I thought it was only like crazy conspiracy theorist people who did, and so it was really interesting because I was like what seven when that happened, so I I was not aware. <laughs> I yeah. I remember Y two K because I ate too much summer sausage and I had an allergic reaction. That's that's how I rang in the new millennium with a puffy face. <laughs> um, but I want to read you this <laughs> this news graphic they showed. That we lost our minds over. Mm, okay. So this was a list of things that people thought would happen at Y2K. Ooh, got it. All right. Let's so hear it. The title is Y2K Warnings, and they're bullets. The first one, shut down electric utilities. That one I understand. It's all run on computers. They mm-hmm. all of a sudden bug out. Yeah. Prison gates open. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... I guess. I thought they would have a fail safe behind that, but is the default state for prison gates like once they stop <laughs> receiving information, well, fuck it, open Fuck it, it's you know? all open. <laughs> uh, here's where it gets a little wild. Terrorist attacks. Okay, I guess maybe they're like, well, they're busy with their bad computers. Let's go get them. Well, it's a big date. You know, everybody's mm. looking. Everybody is doing so. You know how they do the celebrations like, oh, let's look at Big Ben and the fireworks. Mm, or, yeah, yeah. So that's a perfect time to... Do some terrorism, I guess. This is the one, though. Wild dog packs. Is this zoos opening? No, they're wild. Do- what? What does this come from? This is a real news graphic. <laughs> <laughs> what is the... Where? <laughs> do we have cages of wild dogs around, like, that are held by electricity? <laughs> yeah, that's so wild. Like, what <laughs> logic... <laughs> No idea. That's who knows, dude. Yeah. Older listeners that remember this, if you can come up with a reason <laughs> why we now are apparently scared of that. Were. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real concern. Anyway, it just <laughs> we That's we like awesome. rewound it rewound it and watched it like three times. It was great. So watch That's out for crazy. wild dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What what did we watch though besides a great nineties documentary? Oh week? yeah, today's the uh communist movie night. Hell episode. yeah. We watched Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. What'd you think? Quick quick review before we dive quick in. Quick review. Loved it. Me too. Didn't love having I, so I watched it twice because I'm a nerd. Mm-hmm. The first time I watched it, downloaded on an iPad because we were going through rolling outages. Oh shit, that sucks. <laughs> So when the power came on, I downloaded it <laughs> and then watched it once the power went off. Oh, man. <laughs> but it was, you know, but the second time I watched it on the big screen, my TV. 
And yeah, it was great. Nice. Yeah, I liked it. Um, my viewing experience was it took us forever to set up our fire stick upstairs because our PlayStation 4 is dying because I'm assuming because the PlayStation 5 is out <laughs> and they really Planned want us to buy. obsolescence. <laughs> yeah. It just can't connect to the internet. Like, it's so bad. So, yeah, it took us a really long time to set up, but it was a great movie. It was worth it. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so how do you want to do this? Do you want to just kind of roll through Yeah. chronologically? Yeah, let's just kind of go not exactly scene by scene. We'll go a little faster than that, but let's talk about it. Uh, so, yeah, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, film released February 12th, directed by Shaka King and uh, starring Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, they did great. All, all of those guys did great. <laughs> Every, yeah, pretty much everyone involved. Top-notch performance. Yeah. All right. Uh, so it starts with some like documentary footage. Um, kind of getting everyone up to speed. By the way, if you want to get up to speed, we have an episode about the Black Panther Party, episode 29, if you want to go back and listen to that. I kind of wish I had before I watched the movie, because I was like, <laughs> wait, who's that guy again? But it's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning into my role as like, who, you know, not a dummy, but person who doesn't know things sometimes. <laughs> hey, we're, and that is, that is us all, right? Yeah. All of us don't know th- don't know things sometimes. So. Yeah, I, that's a good thing. No, yeah, that's that's good. I was pleasantly surprised upon watching this and then reading some more about the details of the Fred Hampton case. So we 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 kind of glossed. I don't know. Treated. We had briefly. a lot to cover. <laughs> yeah, we were very brief about our coverage of that. I was pleased, however, that everything held up. I wasn't. I'm not sitting here like, damn, I got to issue this retraction. This retraction. You know? <laughs> so that's good. So, yeah, we start with a bunch of footage of, like, covering, okay, the assassination of Dr. King, and here are the riots that happened, and kind of the initial spreading of the party, and, yeah. And is that where they start the the kind of interview with Bill? Is it yes. right there? Okay. Yeah, with uh, Bill O'Neill. And that, you know, they later on show you the real footage of that mm-hmm. from Eyes on the Prize 2, a documentary uh, where they, you know, were covering in part the Fred Hampton assassination, and they did interview Ooh. Bill O'Neill and everything. One thing that I liked in that initial montage that stuck out that because it's very relatable. The whole movie, the whole time, you're thinking 2020, 2021, like mm-hmm. today. You know, absolutely. How much is still around? Yeah. And one of the things was one of the Panthers in the interview and in the documentary footage was saying. You know, these are not riots. These, this is an uprising. You know, mm-hmm. these are pe- these are people revolting because of conditions. They didn't decide to do this. This just happened. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. So I many. was like, damn, you could hear that today. Oh, absolutely. And this is after that. That's when we see our our pal, <laughs> Martin Sheen. Oh my gosh, he's so transformed in this. It's oh my god, awesome. he looked like shit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> looks like a so greasy shitball. Man, uh, that was. Well done on the part of the makeup crew and everything. I yeah. mean, unless he's just deteriorated that much, but I don't think I'm, I'm sure. No, he's, I mean, he sure looks, he's handsome still. I think I saw I saw him on the West Wing special on HBO. I mean, he mm-hmm. looked older, but he didn't look that bad. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, as J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. So, as you and the listeners know, I'm a big fan of the West Wing thing podcast, and they have a theory that uh, Bradley Whitford was cast in Get Out, like as a joke 
because he's like from West Wing and is like a good liberal. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering kind of if this is a similar thing. (laughs) It's like, let's get this liberal president in here to say some terrible shit. Yeah. (laughs) J. Edgar Hoover was bad even from (laughs) the establishment's point of (laughs) view. He was very bad. So he, you know, he was considered a reactionary even by the likes of liberal presidents like. Yeah, he said some uh, shit in this movie. (laughs) Oh my goodness, yes. (laughs) God. And I also love how they, this is probably dramatic. I don't really know. I don't have the FBI blueprints. Please don't send them to me. I'm on enough lists already. So <laughs> Please. But I, I just like to imagine that they did have something similar to this very ominous, like evil mastermind room. Yeah, let's all go up. to the dark projector room <laughs> to talk about our plans to assassinate people. Yeah, it was... It was very ominous, that room. I liked it. Very dramatic. So, yeah, he basically is just like, this is Fred Hampton. We hate him. Let's go get him. Yeah. Interesting. The title comes into play here because he says, you know, we need to prevent the rise of a black messiah. Mm -hmm. In real life, the FBI did use that term and Hoover did use the term black messiah. Interesting. And said, we have to prevent the rise of a black messiah. He actually, they actually went on to identify you know, figures who could play this role. They said like Stokely Carmichael could play this role. Stokely Carmichael doesn't appear in the film or anything, but he was a leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Oh, okay. And had started working with the Panthers. And he ends up having a falling out and going doing some other things. But he was actually the one who they initially identified as mm. maybe being this this leader of, and they do include this in the memos, that could unite the new left and the different radical organizations. That's so interesting because, like, here's the thing. If you're trying to make someone not a messiah, killing them is a big part of that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure how up to date on scripture Hoover was. <laughs> he forgot a little bit. Yeah. That's a major step. <laughs> it's for sure. Oh, So, yeah, they basically were like, let's go get them. So, oh, one thing, and I think it was in that montage as well. The quote, you don't fight racism with more racism. Yeah, you don't fight racism with more racism. You fight racism with solidarity. Yeah. Yeah. And you fight capitalism with socialism. Mm -hmm. So this quote has been making the rounds on Twitter because fucking Cory Booker just posted the first part of that without the socialist part, obviously. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Of course. Fucking dogpiled and was like, hey, you forgot something. So do you. (laughs) (laughs) Finish the Uh, quote. But yeah, we don't fight fire with fire, we fight fire with water. You know, mm-hmm. we don't fight capitalism with black capitalism, we fight capitalism with socialism. Yeah, yeah, all that. This is the first that we see of so many of uh, Fred Hampton's, his memorable lines. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing about these lines is that pretty much all of them, they have to stitch together some of it to like make it flow. Mm-hmm. But pretty much all of this does derive from Fred Hampton's speeches. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Like the the real zingers, you know, those come from his speeches. Yeah. Which have a lot of have a lot of links to Mao. Interesting. I know I remember that they were very into Mao. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he he kind of refers to Chairman Mao sometimes and the Panthers were Maoists or they yeah. followed Mao Zedong thought. Uh so yeah, that like for example, this one uh links up with this saying from the sayings of Chairman. Remember the red, the, the bu- little the red, red books book. that they would sell. Yeah, it says um, 
to oppose counter-revolutionary war with revolutionary war, to oppose national counter-revolutionary war. You know, it's like opposites, I guess, like to, mm-hmm. to oppose these things. I don't know. It, it linked in my head with, with that. I mean, that's dialectics, right? Those are opposites. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So next we go meet our main character, our, our yeah. troubled Bill. The title character here, the yeah. Judas. So I was very confused in the scene for a while. I was like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. But long story short, he tries to steal someone's car by impersonating an FBI officer. Yeah. And throughout the film, people are like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> How is that your <laughs> That's such your a bit? bad plan. He does that. He gets, it fails. Uh, he gets arrested. Mm-hmm. This isn't really exactly how it plays out in real life. Mm, okay. He did have like a charge of stealing a car and crossing state lines with it. Mm. Uh, but that's before he ends up, that's well before he ends up getting contacted by an FBI agent. Okay. It's not like right away he gets arrested and then they're like, dude, <laughs> be an informant. That happens later. Okay. So, you know, he, I think he gets, he gets in a wreck or something, but he has some other sort of way to end up in contact with the police and with the FBI and stuff. Okay. But yeah, that leads to him meeting up with Jesse Plemons, who is the, playing the character of Roy Mitchell. He's the creep from Breaking Bad, the redhead guy. Yeah, the creepy dude. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's got Lakeith Stanfield, who's uh, O'Neill. He's got him in there and interrogates him. And pressures him into being an informant. Yeah. It's important to note, the film doesn't get into this much. But at at that time when he's like arrested and everything and mm-hmm. pressured into being an informant, he was 17 years old. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Did not know that. Yeah. Uh, seven, so he's 17 and he's getting pressured into doing all this. I mean, they must have sped up the timeline, I guess. Yeah. Between that and when he actually... When he actually gets in with the Panthers, mm-hmm. because he joins in with the Panthers on the day that they open up their chapter in mm. Illinois. Okay. Uh, so that's, yeah, a, a little ways down the road. He's It's 1966 when he's first stopped like that. Okay. And then it's uh, 1968 when he joins up with the Panthers. That's like super common, though, in historical films. They're going to scooch things around to make yeah. it you know, more succinct. Right, yeah, you don't want to, it's kind of boring to show every little part. <laughs> and then they did nothing for a few years. <laughs> Let's check back in on him. Uh, I had a note on <laughs> when he was trying to steal the car is reasons not to have a soft top car. Someone could stab through it. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you ever ride in a soft top car, you're going to be wary. <laughs> I'm going to be on the lookout. <laughs> uh, what's next? What's next? So next we go to see Fred Hampton speak. I believe he's at a school. Yeah, he's at a community college that they're going to rename Malcolm X College. Yeah. I love this speech (laughs) for so many reasons. (laughs) It just like gets to the heart of liberalism and just fucking twists the knife. (laughs) Yeah. Like he basically gets up and it's just like, cool, they named it after him. Fucking now what? You know? Mm Mm-hmm. He says, reform is just the master teaching the slaves how to be a better slave. And just like absolutely shits on just focusing on representation. He's like, yeah, you can wear a dashiki if you want, but like, Mm -hmm. what is it going to change about your life? Yeah. Political power doesn't flow from the sleeve of a dashiki, but from the barrel of a gun. Yeah. Also Uh, from Fred Hampton speeches, multiple ones of them. He focuses on this sort of, yeah, this sort of like, hey, it's 
is neat, I guess, to perform culture. But A, that culture may not be what you think it is. And B, it doesn't matter if it is. It's not going to do anything. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really funny that one guy did leave. <laughs> one yeah, guy in Dashiki was, was like, I'm out. I'm here for the clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, we can't have good fashion in this revolution. Like, I'm not a <laughs> Come part on. of it. Uh, but yeah, no, no. He's He's making these important points saying, you know, Ultimately, guys, it's about capitalism, right? Race is involved. It's intersectional with it. The culture, these displays are not going to make a difference because the capitalist still wants to exploit you, whether they're wearing a dashiki or not, whether they're the right. We have a black defense secretary. Mm -hmm. He's still going to be bombing everything in sight. Yeah, I don't see why that's a fucking victory. Uh, So yeah, this is kind of our first introduction to Fred Hampton speaking here, Daniel Kaluuya's character. Oh, and then afterward, uh, he's he's a The girl comes up. Yeah. Yeah, I love her. She's so cute. <laughs> she has a great fashion, first of all. Yeah, she's cool. Um, But yeah, she comes up and is like, man, I don't know why you got to shit on like Black Pride. And like, good point. Basically, just like you could reach more people if you like talk about that stuff too, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, this was uh, Deborah Johnson was the mm-hmm. character. Um, and uh, this is played by Dominique Fishback. Okay, she did a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I also agreed with her point that... <laughs> I think he's he's making an important point that it's not enough, but I guess you could be... You can do both. Yeah, you can be less <laughs> like antagonistic about it. We were talking about this last week with kind of nationalism and how it relates to revolution. And it can be a useful tool, but it cannot be your only tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. It has to be coupled with that revolutionary idea. Yeah. Otherwise, like Connolly said, you know, you'll be evicted by, you know, people wearing the... Irish Republic <laughs> uniform. You know, you'll be evicted by people wearing dashikis. Like, yep. okay. <laughs> Thanks, <deal>. I guess. <laughs> At least yeah. you look like me. I guess this is a win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So next we've got, he's like teaching in the classroom, basically, I guess in their headquarters, just asking yeah. people. It's like a very Socratic mes- method kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He asks someone to define politics and he says, War is politics with bloodshed. Politics is war without bloodshed. I thought that was really good. That's Chairman Mao. Oh, shit. Maybe I'm a mouse. That's 100% (laughs) uh, Mao. And Mao was kind of playing off of uh, the old saying of like, war is politics by other means. Mm, Which is just, it's some old, you know, 18th century, 17th century sort of things. Mm. Some white European did that. Right. And he, he's just kind of playing off of that and saying like, okay, you know, when the obstacle is removed and our political aim attained, the war will stop. Nevertheless, if the obstacle is not completely swept away, the war will have to continue until the aim is fully accomplished. It can therefore be said that politics is war without bloodshed, while war is politics with bloodshed. And this direct Mao quote. Fucking makes sense. It does. What One of the students in the class said, you know, I would argue that Every ghetto across the country is occupied territory. Yeah. Thought that was a, you know, an interesting way to look at it and pretty much right from that perspective, you know. I mean, you're getting oppressed. It's occupied. For sure. Yeah, I mean if you look at the fucking blackouts that happened recently here in Texas, like it was a shit show for some people and some people were fucking fine and like it was really obvious, you know, who the most vulnerable of the people were like there were literally homeless people found frozen outside like just to death yeah so yeah i guess the the theme in that little section where he's talking about that and talking about war and politics 
is at whose feet to lay the blame, right? He says it means when the cops kill an unarmed black person that Mayor Daley, the mayor of Chicago at the time, pulled the trigger. Yeah. And, you know, anytime there's police violence, it's the president's fault, right? Mm -hmm. That ultimately there's that account, that there's that political structure above them that should be held accountable for, that should be blamed, you know? Yeah. Well, and that that's why they're so desperately pushing a narrative of, oh, it's just a few bad cops. And that way they don't mm-hmm. have to take the blame. It's like, no, you're fucking in charge of these people. Like, you're literally the executive branch. That is your job. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. fuck off. <laughs> Uh, we do see Bill in the classroom, and I love it because he's like, wait, do they have rocket launchers? <laughs> <laughs> Did not really grasp the metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Because I think he was talking about the most powerful weapon being the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, heighten the contradictions. He's, he talks about heightening the contradictions so people can decide if they want to overthrow the government. I thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, I was going to say it's a theme, but it's, it was definitely their platform. And, and we mm-hmm. see it throughout is, is them just really pushing their breakfast program and really pushing these community resources just to say like, we're giving you a better alternative. Yeah. Showing physically what is, yeah. What's another possibility and what is not happening mm-hmm. by contrast. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next they do go to meet the crowns. Yeah. The crowns are an, an amalgamation sort of of okay. different revolutionary they're meant to represent like different revolutionary groups that join the rainbow coalition besides like the young lords and the young patriots organization which mm-hmm. they'll actually be in the film these guys are like you know other groups plus like the gangs that ended up settling their differences and stuff and how he settled the gang wars that were going on they're kind of representing that too yeah i thought this was a gang i didn't realize they were a revolutionary gang well again the crowns didn't really exist but I mean, yeah, I guess that's what I thought they were supposed to represent. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. But yeah, that's that's kind of who they fill in cool. as. Question, was everyone just super into berets back then? That was the style, dude. I, <laughs> I don't actually know where they come from, if that was like an Algeria thing. Mm. I don't know. That just could be like a fashion thing. <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, it looks pretty cool. Don't get me wrong. Could be from Che. That's true. Che or a beret. He was a beret man. And this famous photograph, too, he had it. So that's true. Could have been because that was from the Cuban Revolution, which would have happened before that. So who knows? Could okay. just be general fashion trends. <laughs> I mean, it's a look. Yeah. So, yeah, he talks to the crowns and basically convinces them to work together, I guess. Or no, I don't know if he convinces them right away. Convinces them to have a sit down. Right? Yeah. Uh, gets out of a fight <laughs> and convinces them. <laughs> Hey, and I love how he, you know, he comes in here. He's just like openly preaching what he's trying to get them, you know, trying to advance, knowing that they're going to get pissed, you know, and just be, and then being like, Hey, cool. It's fine. Like we could work yeah. together. We could, he's always trying to make friends. He's always trying to, even when people are coming at him, he's trying to build a coalition. Yeah. Like he left like all the weapons in the car and just like made a big show of just like, I am just here to talk y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's building a coalition like in a revolutionary way. He's not saying like, you know, what things of our program can we drop so that we can, you know, accommodate you. He's building a coalition by saying, here are our common interests. Let's do these things together. You know, he didn't like offer to take out a rival gang or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, where do they go from there? 
We go to the cop's house. I know he's an FBI agent, but he's a fucking cop. I don't, they're all the same. Um, <laughs> hey, pigs are the pigs, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> this is a creepy scene because it's just showing how much Bill is like, one, easily swayed by material goods, and two, like, looks up to this guy. Like, it's kind of creepy. Yeah. I didn't know because he says that in the interview. Mm-hmm. They intersplice that and say, you know, I had this FBI agent as my role model. But yeah. I don't know how much of that was just, we make up so many stories about what we do. Mm-hmm. Memory wise. And yeah, it's, you know, because why? Like, there's not, th- this guy doesn't really seem to have a lot that he, in the scene or in any of the scenes that he actually does look up to. He's just like, you know, kind of maybe in awe of the money part of it, but that's not really a role model. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, the scene that, like, in the house is weird because, the mm-hmm. cop keeps trying to, he does the whole, like, I'm not a racist, I'm a good white guy thing. It's oh, real yeah. uncomfortable. He says, like, I investigated uh, Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman, mm-hmm. who were civil rights activists who were killed uh, brutally earlier in uh, in the Freedom Summer in 1964. And the FBI had to, you know, go down there and investigate and make a civil case and everything and, and try to, you know, civil rights case and everything and, and figure out mm-hmm. what happened. But he uses this as like, oh, you know, I'm for civil rights. <laughs> but but then, you can't cheat your way through civil rights, oh, right? Oh, what does that even mean? He also uses the old, the Klan and the Panthers are one and the same line. Two sides of the same coin. Ugh. Their aim is to sow hatred. Wow. Like, it's just, just patently false. <laughs> yeah. One is saying let's exterminate this group <laughs> and the other is saying let's have power for ourselves yeah and literally create a coalition of everyone like they including literally white groups like yeah, yeah including people who use the fucking confederate flag as a symbol <laughs> yeah it's insane yeah it's <laughs> but he's just trying to you know like any white liberal is trying to say like no like i'm I'm, I'm a good or white guy. conservative or whoever. Yeah, I'm a good guy. I'm not racist. Yeah. But. What do people think like racist means? Like I just, whenever they make that argument, it just, I just don't understand. Like they think that it's some like genetic switch. Like, yes, I, like it's an on off thing, you know? Right. Yeah. There's no, yeah, there's no degrees to that. Mm-hmm. Or they, they think that, mm, that you have to be. That you have to take like purposeful, malicious, like openly bigoted steps to be a racist, right? You have to, yeah. Like you, you literally have to look at someone with a different skin color and be like, "Gross!" And it's yeah, like, like that's racist. Use slurs all the time or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's <laughs> without uh, if you, and not just being racist, but supporting racist policies instead. They don't get mm-hmm. that idea at all. No, they they connect it all back to personal accountability, which we right. talked about earlier. So. Yep. It's a thing. Okay. <laughs> oh god, next <laughs> we go we go check on the pigs. Oh god. They're writing the the fake pamphlet. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. They're and the like drunk discussing. FBI agent. He's so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. He's like Well, let me tell you, I heard him say dig in. Dig in. <laughs> That's so bad. Now, uh, Abby and I jokingly use dig in with each other. Yeah. To, like, it just, wherever it sounds stupidest, you're like, dig in? <laughs> dig in? 
<laughs> it's really dumb. And so we find out right away what they're doing. They're making a fake pamphlet or a fake like leaflet sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. Hampton and some of the Panthers, they go to meet with the crowns. Mm-hmm. They have the sit down. It's really stand up. They're sta- everyone's standing. Everyone's standing up. It's very tense. They go in unarmed. Everyone else is armed to the teeth. And there's the showdown. And the leader of the crowns says, like, I know you're you're here because Hampton's here talking like saying, hey, let's work together. We can do so much. It'll be awesome. And he's like, really? Because is this you? Like, and holds up the pamphlet. <laughs> and uh, it's this. I, he reads it out and it's just basically calling the crowns like chumps, basically, and saying that they're actually funded by the cops. Mm-hmm. And they're rats and all this. Yeah. <laughs> and it ends. Dig, dig in, dig in, <laughs> <laughs> dig in. And everyone's like, "Wait a minute!" So I, there, you know, he's quickly is like, "I'm pretty sure the cops wrote that." <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, "The um, cops don't." They're, he basically says, "The cops are too fucking stupid to write this." And so Hampton's <laughs> like, "Yeah, but the feds, the feds will write this." <laughs> I like how they both are just on the same page. At like, yeah, those meatheads like did not write this. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. Uh, we also see someone from the crowns recognizes Bill because that he's like the guy that was trying to steal cars earlier. So they're like, wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> and then some of the Black Panthers, Judy, the lady, and some some other guy, they take him like on a ride, basically at gunpoint, and like ask him to explain, like, hey, why the fuck are they giving you looks? Like, how'd you get this mm-hmm. car? This guy's the worst liar ever. <laughs> Like, he pulls it off in the end, like, by managing to hotwire the car. But, like, he's just like, yeah. no, man, it's fine. Like, he's just he's so completely not believable. I don't know, man. I took the opposite take, like, because he's, he's under, okay, anybody's going to be nervous and shit. Every, every, there like, is if a gun. you act cool as a cucumber <laughs> when someone's got a gun pointed at you and is accusing you of being a rat and they're just going to kill you right there, like, you're weird if mm. you're not kind of nervous. And okay, okay. I don't know. At first, I think he's he's not that great when he's like, uh, he, he's kind of like fixing his story as he goes along. But mm-hmm. then once he, he kind of plays it off once once he successfully hot wires a car, you know? Yeah. Then, because then he's laughing at the guy saying, well, I got, I got someone to make the lock, obviously. Come on. <laughs> you know, laughs it off. <laughs> yeah. It's so I thought he was uncomfortable. Okay. I, I thought he was a bad liar and continues to be a bad liar throughout the movie. <laughs> I wonder, though, maybe so, maybe it's just that people want, because I was thinking like, okay, well, we know mm-hmm. what he is, so it's easy for us to be like, dude, but on the other hand, they know what he is, which is a Panther member. That's true. So both, you know, based on how, where you're coming from, how you look at it, a good lie or a bad lie, you know? Yeah, I think it's, I think that was interesting because this is jumping way ahead, but like, I guess whenever we catch him in these lies as the audience, like you said, it's very easy for us to be like, yeah, this guy's lying. But I wonder how much like directorial, like how much of a choice that was on the director to be like, it's cool if he looks really scared right now because like the audience already knows and the Panthers don't. So like, it's almost like it's from his point of view of like Bill's point of view of like internally, he's really freaking out. So he's showing it. Uh huh. Yeah. That makes sense too. It's, and he's thinking, this must be what I look like to them. Like, 
you know, mm-hmm. I must look sniveling and, and they, they see right <laughs> through me. They see what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder that's if that's point. it. So, yeah, before we move on, that pamphlet that they were talking about, right? I know the crowns are made up and everything, but the FBI mm-hmm. did use, like, fake leaflets and stuff. <laughs> I remember this. To, like, sow discord between people. They also used uh, fake coloring books uh, that they had designed to, like, make it look like the Panthers were trying to encourage kids at their breakfast programs to kill cops. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. That's so insane. This is just, you know, it stands in for this sort of discrediting program, all part of this COINTELPRO program. Yeah. Ugh. How petty. Yeah. All right. Next, we've got a little love scene. Oh, yeah. Hampton's in there being a nerd. Yeah. Listening to old speeches. Who was the guy he was listening to? He was listening to Malcolm X. Okay. I thought so, but I wasn't sure. He was listening specifically to his speech, The Ballad or the Bullet, Ooh, uh, which okay. was his speech in 1964. It's a really good one. Um, okay. I'm also a nerd. I've also listened to this speech a couple times. <laughs> yeah, you can't make uh, fun of him. <laughs> I don't talk along. I don't have it by heart. I don't talk along with it. <laughs> but uh, it argues that black Americans have been patient enough. Uh, that they've given the Democrats the White House, a supermajority in Congress, and what do they have to show for it? He's basically saying, you know, they blame it on the Dixiecrats, but the Dixiecrats are just Democrats. They're just yep. a branch of them, you know. Uh, if they don't get everything that they demand from the government, they should stand up and take it for themselves. Uh, it's kind of a revolution versus reformism sort of argument. Uh, really lays out the ideas of black nationalism, of the need to defend yourself the need to stand up and demand what is yours instead of ask for it beg for it that sort of thing yeah i mean i fucking feel that like literally every day there's just new ways to be disappointed in joe biden <laughs> not even disappointed for me it's like yeah. confirming my my pre-disappointment yeah so. we didn't really yeah <laughs> we didn't go in with a lot yeah. of plan. <laughs> but uh similarly to hampton malcolm x by this point in the story had already been assassinated february 21st mm-hmm. 1965 uh, he was assassinated by members of the Nation of Islam from a group from whom he had kind of rockily split. Mm. And similar to him, there were like very from the beginning, there were allegations of conspiracy involving the FBI. The reason is because like Hampton would be, Malcolm X had been the target of COINTELPRO. Yeah. And... uh they had put they had got high placed informants in the nation of islam actually just this week we had mm-hmm. a posthumous letter come out i don't know if you heard about this no there was a letter that this ex undercover nypd officer uh he wrote it in 2011 and said like don't release this till i'm dead and so his family Ooh. came forward to release this it's a deathbed confession uh, in which he says that the NYPD forced him to infiltrate Malcolm X's group and convince two of his security details to like commit a crime, get arrested <gasps> days before the assassination so that his security detail wasn't there so that they could boom, boom. Oh, my God. Yeah. So oh it just God. reminded me some because that came out like today. So that's bad Sunday, you know, and Jeez. yeah, it just reminded me so much of the. Hampton yeah. case. Yeah. 
Jesus. I thought it was poignant that he would be listening to Malcolm X, not mm-hmm. knowing that he's going to end up in a similar yeah. fate. Yeah. Oh, it's rough. I want to make a random note that I don't know where else I would say. Uh, the soundtrack is really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. This was great. Very good. Very jazzy, but like kind of abstract and like, oh, it was good. Yeah. I dug it. Dig in. We're, yeah, I was going to say dig in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next, we got more more meetings with the people, starting with the Young Patriots. Uh, yeah. I'm super curious to know how like people who didn't know about this group responded. I, I watched this with Kyle and he was like, whoa, <laughs> when he saw the flag. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I had to pause and be like, "No, no, it's cool. They're, it's actually okay." <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. They, uh, it's it's an interesting scene because even within the group that within the group of Panthers that has shown up, they have kind of a you know some one of them speaks up and says, "When I see you know that mm-hmm. flag, I see you know my ancestors getting impressed." Yeah, and they have kind of this debate, and Fred Hampton is trying to cut through and say, "Look, yes." You know, we have different backgrounds and everything, but now we have the same enemy. You know, mm-hmm. we are dealing with the same thing. And convince, it was interesting how he was able to effectively communicate with, and the camera was really focusing on the audience and showing you yeah, just like, like, he can communicate with these people, you know? <laughs> yeah, they showed like this guy, that, like an old man with a huge the beard. The like, Dynasty guy, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what you would think of when you see the Confederate flag. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was, you know, it was, I think we come at this with a little bit of a snooty position on it, maybe like, look at these rubes that he was, you know, still able mm-hmm. to talk to. But like the meaning was that that's not really how Fred Hampton saw them. He saw them as yeah. potential allies, you know, fellow people who he needed to represent he needed to be a part of the struggle yeah yeah and i think you know coming from a southern state i think this is something i'm familiar with too like even again thinking about the responses to the blackout there's so many fucking assholes saying this is what you get for being a red state and i'm like motherfucker (laughs) i'm a communist i did not ask for this yeah (laughs) Like, like this is not my fault and like you it is very easy to turn on the south and say they're stupid, they're, you know, uneducated, yeah. they're all racist, terrible people. And it's like, that is not the case. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think Fred Hampton saw that for sure. Uh, the guy has, who's in charge there, I wasn't able to find a lot on out on him. I wanted to like research him some. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Preacher Man Vesperman. That's a name. His nickname was Preacher Man, you know. Preacher Man. Okay. I was like, is that his last name? <laughs> No, Vesperman was his last name, but his nickname, okay. Preacher Man, Preacher leader Man. of the Young Patriots Organization. I was only able to find like one uh, AP interview where he was, you know, where they were talking to him and stuff. And he was saying, you know, what their organization, I guess, was about and saying mm-hmm. how, you know, we're, we are anti-racist, you know, we're anti-imperialist. We, he's, he's, I mean, they're following kind of the same things the Black Panthers were, but saying, you know, we want you know, good schools for our community. We want good housing, good services for our community, but we want to ally with these other groups. And so it was, it was interesting to see uh, how he put it, but yeah, it's, I think this, this must've been so much scarier to the FBI and everything seeing <laughs> this sort of an alliance happen. Right. Oh yeah. Cause if they're probably thinking, Oh fuck, if he can get to these guys, 
he can get to anybody. Yeah, yeah. And they also show him teaming up with the Young Lords. Yes. I like these people. Yeah, the the Young Lords led by Jose Chacha Jimenez. Great name. And these three groups, the Panthers, the Young Patriots, the Young Lords, they form the nucleus mm-hmm. of the uh, Rainbow Coalition. Yeah. And remember, we talked about in our episode how like they would team up together and like anytime something happened, they would show up to each other's stuff. Like that's what they showed in that scene where they're on the on the federal building steps, you know? Yeah, I loved it. I I love that solidarity. I love the intersectionality. And I mean, just the, I don't know, the movie did a great job of setting it up as like a great emotional, like teamwork thing. You know, mm-hmm. later in the movie, they they help the Panthers rebuild their headquarters. Like, it was very just like, man, we're all in it together, guys. <laughs> like, it was good. <laughs> yeah. it's I was sold. It's such a glimpse into this could have been, could still be sort of alternate path, right? It's such like yeah. a, look at this, look what we could do if we're, if these different groups are working together. Not if like, we just say, oh, we love, we're, we're going to find like the, like one measly thing we can fix or Mm -hmm. find some like wishy-washy middle thing. (laughs) But if we all agree like, Hey, we have, we have the same opposition to us. We need to, we need to focus our, focus our efforts there. I mean, if we have solidarity is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Long way around. (laughs) But yeah, if we have solidarity, that's the possibility, you know? Yeah. It kind of reminded me like that scene, on the steps where they're they're giving like speeches and they're passing the mic around. It reminded me of like some of the protests uh, this summer. Like I went to one here in Dallas and, and that's what happened. They, they started with a black man speaking and then they passed to a Latino person. And he was, you know, talking about how like, this isn't just about, you know, po- this is about police violence, but like our community is affected in these ways. Like fuck ice, like abolish ice straight up saying it. And yeah. they um, passed to like, I think I'm trying to remember. I don't remember her exact. I think she's Palestinian. Um, mm-hmm. And she was talking about like Israel and stuff. And like, it was really good. Like, it was just like yeah. a full across the board. Like, here's our fucking demands. Like, we are all in this together. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what I want all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because you got to be able to a lot of times between these groups, there's not a win or lose. Like, it's not a zero sum between us. It's a zero mm-hmm. sum between all of us and the capitalists. Yeah. Right. We're all actually on the same side. We don't actually need to be like, it's like fighting for scraps. Yeah. Like what's the, why, why not team up and get, get all of us more of it? Like be in control of who gets what instead of begging for scraps. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We go back to the creepy FBI room, (laughs) the, the dark presentation room. (laughs) Yeah. What does he say? What Um, does he do in this part? He basically, he's got a red circle around around Fred Hampton oh. and says, arrest him for something, anything. <laughs> yes, that's so, right. Get him off yeah. the streets. And they do. So, yeah, they um they arrest him because he ends up getting, like, convicted of this thing that had happened before the events of the movie. I don't know if they okay. do the timeline differently or what. But yeah, uh, this is a, based on a real thing anyway, is that he's accused of robbery. Uh, okay. Uh, this this robbery of an ice cream truck. What the fuck? Uh, where this ice cream truck guy got jumped, and he alleges that Hampton was involved, uh, and so and stole seventy one dollars worth of ice cream. Apparently, Hampton <laughs> okay. said, 
I'm a big motherfucker, but I can't eat $70 worth. I can't eat that many pounds of ice cream. You know, I couldn't do it. Yeah. He was initially, you know, released on bond and everything, but then they convicted him. It doesn't see, He maintained his innocence. He had witnesses saying he didn't do it. Uh, I tend to believe him because he doesn't seem like the type to just steal ice cream. Yeah, unless uh, he was giving it to the kids, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but it just sounds still- like a very stupid way to have done that. Extremely was, stupid. He was, uh, he would have been 19 at the time. Okay. But he was already like a leader in the, you know, in the youth NAACP and everything by that point. Like, I don't, I don't see why he would go do this. Yeah. Sounds stupid. That's weird. Sounds fake. But he does get convicted of the thing. And he ends up serving some time uh, in prison. That's what okay. they're talking about here, right? They do. He ends up going to prison in this. Yeah, they said like two to five years. What the fuck for ice cream? Yeah, uh, I mean, Seems they extreme. they're throwing the book at him. You know, they're trying yeah. to put him away as long as they can. He appeals it, but he ends up in, you know, in prison for it's about four months before okay. the appeal is actually granted. Jeez. Yeah, that's insane. Yep, but they can they can use the justice system however they want because it's their justice yeah. system. For fucking real. I mean, it is super arbitrary. Like, judges have so much power and, yeah, they really can just decide to do whatever the fuck they want. So next, we go back to headquarters and there's a guy there who's all like, I'm on the run. I killed a rat. And Bill's like, fuck, like, I'm a rat. You know, he doesn't say that, but he thinks it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then we we find out from headquarters or from FBI headquarters. Sorry. There's a lot of headquarters in this movie. (laughs) We find out that that guy who said he killed a rat is actually a rat. Yeah. And we covered this in the episode, I believe. Uh, This was George Sam's. I forgot. Tell me about it again. (laughs) All right. So George (laughs) Sam's was allegedly an FBI informer. It's never been proven. Mm -hmm. Panthers kind of accused that he was the FBI informer. FBI, he obviously denied it. Um, so again, mm-hmm. we don't really have proof. The film takes aside that he was. It makes sense for him to be, given what he does, because uh, he goes out to New Haven, Connecticut, where they think they have maybe found an informant, the rat, Alex Rackley, uh, who turns out not to have been a rat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they uh, take this guy out. Well, they torture him, they take this guy out, kill him, and bury him out in the river. Jesus. And it's it's like gruesome stuff. They mention it some in the film. And uh, George Sams was the guy, like, pushing this along, instigating, saying, like, we got to do this, let's do this, let's do this. Uh. Yeah. And he manages to implicate, this is later on than the film scope, but he manages to implicate like lead national leadership and everything. So you end up with this big trial of several Panthers uh, in the New Haven trials there. Um, Jeez. Because of this guy who, again, probably or possibly anyway, was an FBI, was the actual FBI informant. And then like they go through uh. in headquarters, you know, it makes sense because they could like keep following through with him in, on a fugitive warrant because... You know, he's on the run. (laughs) That's so fucking bad. And it's really that. So they're like, yeah, this guy's on the run. He can go to all these different headquarters. We can like raid them. And Mm -hmm. it's really 
like, it's funny slash ridiculous that the main FBI agent we've been following is surprised by this. <laughs> yeah, why he's would like, he? Like, what? Did he? <laughs> that's not right. And that's why he's kind of a stupid, I don't know. I don't like his character as much. I, mm-hmm. Because I understand him like personally rationalizing like, oh, I'm a good guy. I'm trying to do this mm-hmm. and that. But he also should. I mean, his own like basically coworker, right, is totally knows exactly what they're, what all the shit they're up to. And he's just like, huh? Like, unless he's the bozo, like he's like a complete <laughs> idiot in the forest and they never tell him anything because he's too stupid, like. It doesn't make sense for him not to know that they get up to this shit all the time. Yeah. I'm just like, is this your second day on the job? Like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah. Again, I get like personally rationalizing it, but I don't understand his naivety about like what they're He would think it's the right thing to do. He wouldn't be like, this is wrong. He'd be like, oh, great, great plan. Let's do it. (laughs) We got to take care of these radicals. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. And, um... I guess similar to that George Sands guy, uh, Bill starts accusing people. Ooh, yeah. When he gets in there, he's like, I'm going to find this rat. He makes a big show of it. Yeah. And it's like, "Mm, doth protest too much. Yeah. I guess, man, I guess I was, now I'm stuck on your interpretation of that. How like, (laughs) it's his, uh, it's like his perception of how he must look. Because I'm like, yeah, he does kind of over, overwrought each time that he does one of these bits. But to me, it was like, well, that you know, he he did exa- he said exactly what he was supposed to say, and so they're gonna let him pass because he's he's not fucking up really. He's just a little too much. Hmm. I don't know. My my nail in the coffin is like the last time he lies big. Like that for me was like, okay, this is clearly an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. No one would yeah. do this. So we'll get to it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, we talk about Fred Hampton in prison and, Mm. um, he basically gets like even more radicalized, you know, he's just like, yeah, this is, this is the ultimate expression of how fucked up this is. Yeah. He says it much more eloquently than that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it makes sense. You've, uh, in the outside world, it's supposed to, you know, you're controlled, but you're not, it's not supposed to look like you're controlled. In prison, mm-hmm. it can look that way, you know? It's fine if it's openly, yeah. Yeah, they just s- strip any of the candy coating off. There you go. Yeah. The FBI steals that fucking letter he wrote to his wife. I was very mad about that. She opened an empty envelope. Well, not his yeah. wife, I like guess, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was sad. Which, also a thing that happened. Ugh. So next, we lose Jimmy Palmer. He gets into a shootout with some cops and... Basically, they get rid of him once he's in the hospital. Yeah. They show that later, I guess, but. It's part of the flow is he gets hospitalized and then like the cops won't let, won't let them take, visit him or take him any books or anything. And Mm -hmm. they're being real assholes about it. Jimmy Palmer is another kind of representative character. Okay. Uh, He's representing, you know, just various Panthers and activists who were, you know, victims of police violence or face the police and died in a gunfight or you know were off were may have been often this way yeah so they end up quote unquote transferring him to another hospital and then he dies and it's like mm, did he die on the way yeah and the the other characters i think it's jake winters seems to think like this he was this fine stinks. you know yeah yeah probably a thing that 
They did sometimes. I mean, they've literally locked up a, a police informant. Do you, have you heard about that one? No. There was apparently like there was a whistleblower inside the police. And so the police had him committed to an insane asylum against his will. Whoa. They made an enamel pin of it to celebrate it, featuring a rat in a straitjacket. Wow. Yeah. Cops gonna cop. Reform that. (laughs) Eight can't wait. (laughs) That's sick. Yeah, really bad. All right. The shootout is next. The shootout. Uh, we, We start off with the with a cop saying some casually racist stuff on the street through like wow. a megaphone. Very bad. With a, with a beer in hand, just, yeah, just harassing chilling. people as they're walking by. It's pretty nuts. People are like, why aren't the cops respected? You know, why don't people appreciate what these heroes do? <laughs> a few bad cops, uh, but you see a few bad cops standing around them looking at them like, hey, this is fine, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody says, hey, maybe you shouldn't. Do that? Yeah. Mm, no. <laughs> no, it's fine. Another day on the job. <laughs> and uh, then then everything goes to shit. Um, they start shooting at each other. They're shooting up the, the Black Panthers headquarters. And fucking Bill leaves. <laughs> he tries to leave out in the back and see somebody there. And he's like, oh, shit. So he has uh, to find I'm going to go, go check the roof. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. That was and then great. once they get into the firefight, then he's like, okay, fuck it. I'm out. <laughs> Like as soon as he leaves. sees that the that the road's clear, he's like, uh, I'm out. Yeah. Takes off his beret, puts it in his pocket, and just leaves. <laughs> what a shithead. This whole uh, scene, you know, maybe details vary a little bit, but the cops did mm-hmm. engage in a shootout with the Panthers and then burn down their uh, their headquarters. So, yeah. They, they burn it down. So, this is real. Yeah. That sucks. It's shitty. Yeah. And then they, like... Just gas the place, like gasoline explosion it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They attack it first, have that big shootout, make people come out, and then beat the beat the fuck out of them when they do. Yeah. And then, yeah, they torch the place. They just go set gasoline, set explosives. You hear somebody saying, set the explosives, set the explosives, and then they and then they blow the place up. It's insane. We're, again, I was watching it with Colin. and he was like, that seems dangerous. Like, the businesses <laughs> next door get hurt. And I'm like, I don't think they care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's totally. I was thinking the same thing. They had that like a liquor store or something right nearby, and yeah, they didn't yeah. give a fuck. Nope, not at all. <laughs> just just fucking blew it up, and then fucking sent a picture of of it to Fred Hampton in prison. So that's really yeah. mean. And why should they give a fuck? Like the Panther said before, every ghetto in America should be considered occupied territory by yeah. them. Because it's considered occupied territory by the cops. Obviously. Oh, for sure. Look at how they're treating them, you know? Yeah. You have the entire community out there behind, like, the police line yelling at these cops being like, what the fuck are you doing in our neighborhood? You know? Like, there was mm-hmm. that solidarity. So, yeah. It, yeah. It is bad. So, yeah. The headquarters are all fucked up. And that's when the community comes together. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Uh, the the crowns show up and are just like, what can we do? And Bill is helping like lead the rebuilding effort. And I don't, I don't know. That's I, I what's your read on him in this. That's a narrative device. I think I don't. I don't think there's any record of like, damn, Bill O'Neill, oh. he really helped us out with that thing. 
but still, uh, I mean, I think it's, you know, him, his character trying to like initially trying to endear himself Mm. and then feeling a part of it. Yeah. I think this is kind of a turning point for him in the film. I think he starts like really getting into it and like, I think he feels really bad about what he's been doing. So he's trying to make up for it. Yes. Yeah. This is again, you know, we don't know what role Bill O'Neill played in rebuilding their headquarters or anything like that. Uh, but I think it's the film's trying to make sense of the, like the interview and the guy, because he mm-hmm. clearly by this point in his life ends up having like remorse about what he was, what his role in it, but also this kind of tangled like view of himself as being part of the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. That was super weird. Yeah, so it's trying to reconcile those and saying like, okay, you know, at some points he must have really, you know, come around and felt like he was a part of it in some to some degree. Yeah, again, it's it's the lies we tell ourselves. Yeah, we go back to the FBI, our our horrible piggy pals. Um, Martin Sheen <laughs> is buttering up the redhead and straight up asks him, "What will you do when your daughter brings home a black guy?" He does not oh. use that word though; he uses a different word. What the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. this is just straight up. I kind of like, I mean, maybe he was this bad. I'm sure he was really bad. But like, yeah, it felt very ham handed here, I think, for like today's audience, because everyone would be like, oh, that's straight up race. You know, like, mm-hmm. I feel like a more powerful narrative would have been like trying to pose this as like a national security threat or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, he, he was cartoonishly racist. So maybe we just... <laughs> We just talk about it. It's fine. No, I think that uh, honestly for Mitchell, it probably would have been a better appeal to say, yeah, you know, like we've got to make sure that radicals like this don't cause violence in our streets or something, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, but you're right. Hoover also was a virulent racist. I mean, there's a reason that he had the FBI targeting all of these radical groups, but also just civil rights groups and stuff too, is because he saw, you know, the threat of any sort of black civil rights groups. He saw that as a threat. Yeah. And just like, what is it called? Miscegenation? Miscegenation? I don't know. When when people are scared of race mixing. That's what they call it. They call it miscegenation. Like, mm. that's what they call people race being interracially Or whatever. Mixed. Yeah. 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 And so to him, like, obviously any good American is going to be on board with that and see like that that's a, you know, racial equality is a communist plot and all this sort of thing. And like you say, like miscegenation or whatever that they would call Mm -hmm. it, you know, that the threat of an interracial society is horrible. Right. So that's how he appeals to him. And he's just like, you're a normal, you know, you're a good, sensible (laughs) American. Like, could you, you know, you would hate this. Right. And it's surprising though, because Mitchell, I don't know. He he at first is like, yeah, he's uncomfortable. But like he does, you know, he's this white liberal or whatever. But you know that he would also actually just be uncomfortable with the situation, and ends up just saying like, no, she wouldn't do that. Like, yeah, yeah, he totally caves. Like, ooh, okay, bud. I mean, do you think that that's his belief, or was he just telling his boss that? Mm, I think that's his belief. I thought so too. Yeah, it seemed like. You know, he really, like, doesn't like to think of himself that way. But when it came down to mm-hmm. it, he was just like, you know, no, she wouldn't. I would, because it's implied, I would teach her better than that. It is. That's absolutely. what's implied, you know. Yeah. 
I, yeah, I think his character is is that kind of middle of the road, not middle of the road by any standards <laughs> that I have. But yeah, <laughs> but it's implied that he sees himself as a good person and he thinks he's doing the right thing. And you just throughout the film see these contradictions of like, mm, I don't think so, bud. Like you're yeah. not on board. Yep. Hoover says our entire way of life is at stake if we lose this war. Jeez. He says rape, pillage, conquer. Just oh. <laughs> original animalistic viewing of black people like horrifying shit Mm -hmm. yeah just us versus them yeah really bad shit the whole savage native yep and again this is probably hoover's like view of it i'm sure a lot of people's view of it but not it's not important that the system actually holds this view it's that that it holds this kind of nakedly bigoted or like you know race science or any of that like actual uh, playing on its face like just cartoonishly like you said cartoonishly Mm -hmm. racist views it doesn't it can be couched in a woke sort of system and still be just straight up actually racist in in outcome so this is kind of cutting ahead to like one of my discussion questions but i think we could get into it now sure i wonder if part of laying out like the the cartoonish racism is to drive home like i guess the point of view of the film um Mm -hmm. to make sure nobody accidentally took the fbi's side (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah i mean i think you'd have to be kind of crazy to do that but i'm also so far gone (laughs) could you take the what would be the there's no way i mean it could just be like highlighting how mm, but if you if it is trying to do that, if it is trying to say, look how bad the FBI is because look how racist they were, mm-hmm. then you can look at that in the, in, the, in the opposite way and say that's trying to say that the FBI is no longer that bad because they're no longer that personally racist. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Just blame it all on this one guy. Again, the, the personal accountability narrative, the, it's just a few guys who are bad. But yeah, but I don't know. Too much of the actual action of the of the film, the interactions with the police, the interactions with mm-hmm. the FBI, everything, you know, too much of that still seems like something that could actually still happen, regardless of the personal beliefs of whoever could still mm-hmm. happen in today's oh, absolutely. America. Absolutely. So I don't know if that's the point they're trying to make. Maybe it's too, it's got to feel a little bit better if you're watching this as a liberal to say, look at that bad man, Hoover, mm-hmm. doing these bad things. You know, good thing we have good people like, you know, uh, Mueller at the, you know, when the FBI was everybody's hero when he's going after Trump or whatever. Oh, God. You know, all of a sudden it's just like, yay, FBI. Like, really? (laughs) Maybe it feels good to them (laughs) to see see it in this. Maybe. I just don't think the film, it doesn't come across to me as super trying to make a case that's in any way in favor of the FBI. I don't think so either. I guess I'm just thinking like if someone more conservative than me watched this, would they, because people like we talked about in our Black Panther episode, people do have this vision of the Black Panther is like very violent and very like, like people were like, yeah, people painted them as bad. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if someone watching this movie would be like, well, they didn't show that they did crimes, you know, <laughs> and like yeah. shit like that. Sorry, my dog's walking everywhere. We're not going to be able to edit <laughs> that one out. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I guess, yeah, I can see how someone more conservative could. I don't care, (laughs) personally. (laughs) I think it's good. I think we need some propaganda on our side. I think you can get that other stuff literally anywhere else. Like, it's fine with me. I just think it 
I think it was a good choice, I guess, is what I'm saying, that they didn't show those things. Like, I think that's fine. They yeah. really focused on, like, the community efforts. And I think that's what the Black Panthers really focused on, honestly. I Yeah, that's true. I think they honestly could have focused more on all the shit that they were doing in the community. Like, they mentioned it in yeah. passing and stuff. And it's a film. It's, it's limited in time. You can't do everything. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, I look at the stuff that Fred Hampton was up to with the Panthers and it's just I'm just like dude I would be exhausted every single day (laughs) like trying to do all these things dude you know he organizes weekly rallies participates in strikes works closely with the with the people's clinic teaches political education classes every morning at 6 a.m. Jesus Christ launched a project for community supervision of the police he's in the free breakfast program you know, I mean, he seemed a little bit leisurely in the movie compared to that. <laughs> yeah, he was like sitting around listening to speeches or whatever. He would not have time for that. <laughs> yeah. That but sucks. I- so the only job we could do is the teaching one. And it's at 6 a.m. I'm already out. Like, <laughs> it's the only one we're kind of qualified for. Hey, you could help with the free breakfast program. That's just I, I could, food, I could, know? I could cook and serve food. I could, you know, it's scary, but you could do community supervision of the police. <laughs> no, I, I can't. I'm scared. I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> But I do look white, so I could probably get away with some shit. Yeah, true. They would think for a second before shooting me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next, Fred Hampton gets out of prison and sees his pregnant girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, So he got out of prison. That's when the appeal was granted. Mm -hmm. So they said, you can have an appeal so you can be out on bond. We'll see what the appeal is. Uh, So he's like kind of temporarily out pending what happens with the appeal. And yeah, yeah, he he meets up with with Deborah Johnson. Yeah, it's cute. And they have a party, but then the party gets interrupted because they found out that guy from the hospital died. Jimmy Paul. And yeah, this one guy gets really mad. What's his name again? I'll mention it later. Jake Winters. Jake Winters. Yeah. So he gets really pissed and tries to go find that janitor he saw at the hospital earlier and like ask him what happened. Mm-hmm. And then the janitor fucking calls the cops on him. Yeah, he, he calls the cops on him, total jerk, because he was, you know, and he's he's saying like, basically, I don't want to get fired, so quit asking questions, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it makes sense that part, but calling the cops on the guy is a whole other extra yeah, stuff. Yeah, come on. Like, yeah. He could just lock the door and like, I mean, he did see him with a gun. Yeah, but it was, I don't know. He didn't like try to bust in. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have. But the film shows you why you shouldn't do that because. For sure. Then Jake Winters ends up in a shootout. Yeah. And this guy was real, Jake Winters. Okay. Real guy. There's not, it's it's based on him because there's not a lot of information out there about him. Okay. He was just 19. Oh. And uh, yeah, he gets into the shootout with the cops. He does, you know, kill the guy at close range as that was depicted. Uh, and then he himself is killed. What the fuck? <sighs> Next, we have another Fred Hampton speech. And he's got the entire Rainbow Coalition there. He gives another banger of a speech. It's a good one. Uh, I don't know if I have the exact quote written down correctly, but he says something to the effect of, it's not a question of violence versus nonviolence. It's a question of fighting against fascism or non-existence within fascism, mm-hmm. which I thought was yeah. very good. Like, it's not just like we're trying to be good little revolutionaries. Look how like, look how we're not fighting. Like, aren't we good? Don't we deserve a prize for that? It's like, no, we're literally fighting for survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's 
kind of touching on the idea of means and ends. I mean, when you have the luxury of picking between your different means and stuff, fine, go with nonviolence. But when you're in, like you said, a struggle for existence, you've got to do something, you know, resisting fascism can require violence. Yeah. Know, or at least, and not, not, he's not talking like aggressive violence. Let's go. <laughs> Just start stabbing people. Yeah. He's talking about like using violence in defense of yourself and your people. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, some other quotes or points that he raised in this speech. One for me that got me was where he was talking about, you know, dying a revolutionary death because you love, because you live a revolutionary life. Yeah. You know, living for the people, dying for the people, kind of like a live by the sword, die by the sword sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That was cool, man. That was <laughs> so cool. But I was like, damn, man, I'm kind of cowardly. Oh, I super am. <laughs> and well, it's not even just that. Like they, the film like does a close up on on Deborah then, and she's like, oh fuck, like you know, realizing like, okay, I I might have to raise this baby alone, and mm-hmm. I mean it. There is a human cost to this. I mean, yeah, it is very much you're choosing between direct day-to-day survival where you're being kind of ground down or putting your life on the line immediately. And like, that's such a shitty position to be in. Yeah. I don't know. I just kind of live a boring little life. I don't really do <laughs> anything living out my ideals or anything. I'm not a revolutionary freedom fighter or anything. I'm definitely not. And Hampton saying here, I mean, he's saying, he's saying this is what you got to do if you're revolutionary. It's, uh, it's the same as they say, you know, faith without works is dead. It's like, you know, words without action is, is nothing. It's just, you know, puffery. Ah, yeah. It's made me think. Shit. I don't think it's going to make me change my actions, but it made me think. <laughs> we got to shut down the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I try to, maybe this is just my way of justifying it. I try to think that it's like, maybe everyone has their place in it in some ways. Cause like, I don't know. I'm just like not physically up to, <laughs> up to any sort of fighting. Like, yeah. Well, we are I kind of the, aren't we the bourgeois intelligentsia sort of thing, as Marx put I it? I guess. Like, we're yeah. just the losers who, who do the ideology. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. It's us. <laughs> you guys do whatever you want. We can't incite you to anything. Oh, that's one thing. So I had this quote talking about killing the pigs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, your average liberal viewer is going to watch this and be like, I mean, he just said, like, go kill pigs, right? Kill all of them? Yeah, yeah. Because he says, like, you know, kill one pig, get a little satisfaction, kill more mm-hmm. of them, get more satisfaction, kill all of them, get complete satisfaction, Right. Yeah, that's what he says. I So I, I was looking up speeches and stuff by Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. He's not very much of an ideologist. He doesn't like do any sort of treatises or anything. The only thing that you can find on the Marxist.org webpage is speeches that he gave, like transcripts of those. Yeah. He also doesn't have time to be writing ideological things. I mean, like <laughs> he's, he's got a busy schedule. <laughs> uh, but in the context of the speech that this is drawn from, mm-hmm. he's actually saying, you know, People ask us, why aren't we actively taking the fight to the cops more? Why aren't we just fucking them up in the street? Just shooting cops. And he says, look, I mean, you kill one cop. Okay, sure. You know, it's be kind of pleasant. (laughs) Not for that guy, (laughs) but for, you know, you're going to feel good. But that's only a little bit. And you kill a few more. Okay. But what we're looking for is, and you can phrase this a bunch of different ways, because you could be like, uh, you know, 
kill or just abolish the police. Okay, you know, yeah, I was wondering altogether. if that if it's more of a systemic thing, like yeah. yeah, we could go out there and you know fucking shoot a cop. Great, I'm just gonna get killed and and nothing really changes. Right. But if we get rid of the whole system, that's how mm-hmm. you have a change. Yeah, the system altogether, whichever means, hopefully abolishing them altogether. Uh, only then will you really have done something. And he's, he's the speech is trying to say like that's what we're trying to do. The movie doesn't, I don't think, portray that line very well. But that's what mm-hmm. was actually being said. That's interesting. I wonder, given, I guess, what we were talking about earlier, like, you know, I I think in some ways they were trying to obviously portray the Panthers in the best light. Like, that's an interesting move. That's a bold move. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Next, um, we've got, you know, his girlfriend comes up and is like, hey, you did just say you're going to die revolutionary death. That's going to be kind of shitty for me. And... She, yeah. com- she comes up to him, though, while he is committing a personal foul. Oh, yeah. He's like reading her journal. What the fuck? He's reading her diary. That's the original <laughs> personal foul, dude. We got to tell the side story. It's stupid. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. This is embarrassing. So back in the day and to this day, I do not really know the rules to football. I don't want to know the rules to football. It's fine. <laughs> it's it's fine. Don't try to explain me the rules. Um, and so I would make up what I thought penalties meant and like the referees, like their different moves. I'd be like, Oh, that's a cool dance. You know, I would just make up stupid things about football to make it entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. And one of them was, I thought I was like, it's personal foul. Like, is that like if someone reads somebody's diary or something like I, that was a joke. I obviously yeah. didn't think that was real, but like I would, I would jokingly say that's what a personal foul would be. <laughs> They're over there on the sideline. I have a crush on. So. Uh, that is a very personal foul, though, so it makes sense. But yeah, no, Fred Hampton here with the personal foul, yep. reading Deborah Johnson's diary. Rude. But yeah, she's she's talking about basically what he was talking about in the speech before about the revolutionary death. Yeah, I think they did a good job talking through their conflict. Great, great couple. <laughs> That's really all I got out of it was like, you can tell that they really care about each other and that they're both committed to the cause and also each other. So I think, yeah, I think it was good. I think that's one thing that movie did well was, and this was actually a conscious choice by the director was trying to tell a story that was more human Mm -hmm. than more like action figure hero. Yeah. A little, yeah. A little more three dimensional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you see more of, Anton's personal life and everything inter yeah. interpersonal relationships and stuff versus just what he's at. But I do like that. They didn't just like, you know, they didn't like whitewash his ideology or anything and say, no, they really need to get them to pass the civil rights bill or anything like that. You know, <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. They fucking went for it. Yeah. Then he goes to see Jake Winter's mom. It's really sad. She's yeah. talking about like he was a sweet little kid and stuff. And like she wants, I thought like a very good line from it was something effective. Like he may have done this thing, but that's mm-hmm. not all he did. I hope yeah. that was really good. For sure. And that's another one where you still feel it today when oh, people are sure. saying, you know, victims of, you know, police brutality or they're murdered by the police. You know, people want to scrutinize and say, oh, you committed this petty crime or you weren't a perfect Uh victim, so we don't have to care about you or whatever. And it's like, 
uh, dude, I'm a human being. Like, you know, this person, this was someone yeah. I cared about, like, and now they're dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the same thing happens to like victims of like sexual assault. Like mm-hmm. their entire life gets scrutinized for this one thing. And it's just insane. It's just like, it doesn't matter if they wore something or did something like they didn't deserve that. Yeah. Nobody deserves that. Mm-hmm. Next scene, we've got <laughs> Bill tries to give them some C4. <laughs> oh, Bill. Fucking idiot. I have so many questions. Okay. Was the C4 real? I mean, if it was real, did he get it from the FBI? I mean, I know he got it yes. from the FBI either way. They might have just given him like bricks of Play-Doh or whatever. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think like, they gave him real that? C4. Okay, cool. I don't know that this happened was... either, but. Okay. I don't know. There's, I didn't research to see if this was a real thing. I imagine that if they, if they had given him real C4, they would have sent him out there saying, let's go take this and blow up rival gang A or whatever. Rather mm-hmm. than, oh yeah, let's than go City blow Hall. up City Hall. <laughs> yeah. They gave yeah, him fake C4 one. in that case, I think. <laughs> I mean, we all know the FBI loves to like play pretend in terrorist organizations. Like, yeah. And that's a thing they do. <laughs> yeah, they are always looking to try to set up somebody who's dupable. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, this one he is, he's real. Uh, he's really like over the top. He's really like, we got to mm-hmm. do this. Come on, you said that like we have to, and he's kind of egg him on and say like, you said we had to attack them, right? You know. Hmm. What? Okay. Again, I I like this game. What's your interpretation here? I I don't know. This is the point where I'm like, at first, because the reveal is he gets in his car and he's wearing a wire. But at first, I'm like, man, maybe he really is on board now. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and that's the shitty thing because, like, in the speech before, he was, like, all in. Like, he was pumping his mm-hmm. fist. Uh, he was super into it. But then he turns around and does this. Yeah, yeah. I think he's struggling because I interpreted, like, his reactions at the speech of, like, he's he's into what the words are being said. I think they also show a lot of close-ups of, like, the coalition again. I think he's seeing, like, how powerful that is, so... I think he likes yeah. having this community and being like a valued member of it. Mm-hmm. And then it's just torn because he knows he's in direct danger. So, yeah, that's the other thing. And they do take pains to say, to show him like trying to get out, you know, mm-hmm. and saying like, ah, fuck this. And I don't know if really Bill O'Neill actually did that, but to get to the point of the inter- in that interview where he's like, I was a part of the struggle. You have to imagine again that he really felt like he was. So yeah. you have to figure out, okay, how did he balance these two? And the only thing that really makes sense as to why he would both have bought into the movement, but also betray it is that like uh Mitchell sat him down and said, I got you by the balls. I mean, like mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you are going like to prison to. if you don't do this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just shows how torn he was, I guess, how he's trying to get this across. Yeah. So let me, we start winding down here. Um, it, it, yeah. You know, I knew it was coming. It was still bad. So. <sighs> yeah. Basically, the FBI is like, we got to take him out. Like, he mm-hmm. his appeal got denied. So he's going back to prison. But like, fuck it. We just want to get rid of him entirely, which I thought was weird. I thought that was weird, too. The FBI, A, can just kill you in jail. They can just turn off the security cameras (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
have the security guards fall asleep and have you hang yourself on your own bed sheet. Now, that's conspiracy yep. stuff, but I happen to think it at least has some credulity behind it. I mean, we literally said the same thing, Kyle, and I was like, why, why don't they just take him out in prison? Why like do this publicly where he's obviously a martyr? Like, what the fuck? This is a bad plan. <laughs> but on the other hand, killing him in prison, you have plausible deniability. But killing mm. him out in the open does, well, it runs the risk of making a martyr. It's in another way, it could be demoralizing. A show of power. Yeah. You're just executing somebody out in the streets, yeah. out in the open. You come at, you know, like, yeah, and just brazenly saying, we can do this. Yeah. If you try this again, this is this will happen to you. Yeah. So in a way, it also makes sense that way. I guess that's true. Yeah, just a extreme show of force. It's risky because, so. like you said, you could make a messiah like you were trying to not do. <laughs> but. Right? Yeah, I'm super curious how this was reported like at the time of it, because like now, obviously, we we know about COINTELPRO and like we know all the circumstances behind it. But like, what did they say? I mean, they said it was an arms charge, right? What they were going in to get him for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's they were they were going in because he said that they had guns in the place, and so they were going to get him on an arms charge. But they just went in shooting, you know? Yeah. I mean, did they cover that up in the papers and stuff, or did they just not for very they long? Just had the excuse. When when they came out initially, the district attorney said that, like, you know, they the Panthers were firing all like crazy at us. And, you know, we did our best we could to like to defend ourselves or whatever. And this is what happened. You know, they lied. Yeah, they just lied. But that was pretty soon uncovered because they didn't even secure the crime scene. So the Panthers were able to go in there and show everybody like, hey, here's what, what actually fuck? happened. You know, here's here's where the bloodstains are. Like, they just showed everyone what yeah. the crime scene was. And so everything, like, fa- fell apart pretty much instantly on that in terms of their cover-up. So pretty much everyone knew way soon that, like, this had happened. Yeah. That's insane. But, like, you don't grow up hearing about this, I guess. Yeah. They didn't know, however, like, the connections, I think, behind it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the FBI, they they thought, like, this was Chicago was PD getting back at yeah, getting back at the Panthers and everything. Yeah, shit. But yeah, uh, they get O'Neill to uh, they do this weird like spy thing, and I don't know how that all goes down. That's just <laughs> just so he can get the the Sika Barbital to give him. Uh, yeah, but they we we covered this in the episode too. But the rundown is when Hanta comes back from he's te- he teaches a class in the evening and so they all come back and hang out at his house afterward. In the movie they're all talking about is he going to run away or is he mm-hmm. going to stay? And in the meantime, O'Neill had prepared them all this meal that they're eating. Yeah. And slips into Hampton's drink, his sleeping stuff. Okay, but <laughs> in the movie this is my nail in the coffin for my theory of like they're showing his internal struggle because oh. he goes up to him. It is completely covered in sweat and shaking. He's like, can I get you a refill? And you're like, no, if someone came up to me and looked like that, I'd be like, no, you're going to poison me. He's in tears and stuff, too. <laughs> yeah. An absolute wreck. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I wouldn't be like, no, you're going to poison me. I'd be like, dude, are you OK? Like, let's come on. Come on, man. Let's go talk. What's up? You know? <laughs> Yeah, he's clearly right. in like, distress. Like he just got some bad news or something happened. <laughs> yeah. That, this is why, yeah, that's, this is my theory is, is that they're just showing his inner tor- turmoil. That's a good interpretation. I like that. 
Uh, that's you. now my interpretation. I'll credit you. I did it. I won. <laughs> I won the podcast. So the rest, I mean, the rest of it, the raid as depicted in the film pretty much goes down like that. Yeah. Uh, they show the character of Mark Clark uh, in the in the film here. He's the he talks to O'Neill in the movie. Just hey, who are you? You know, like what's up? You know, and mm, yeah, o- yeah. O- those real awkward. He's super awkward. And Mark Clark's like, oh, I'm just here, you know, seeing how things are, have gone or whatever. He that that's you know, and this is actually the case. He's from the Peoria chapter of the Black Panther Party. Mm. He was only he was 22, uh, and Jeez. he's the guy with the shotgun when the raid goes down. And they oh. alternatively either bust in the door and shoot him or shoot him from when he answers the door at the very beginning. They just Jeez. shoot him through the door. Either way, he goes down immediately, shooting the shotgun off as he does, like mm-hmm. into the air. It goes into the ceiling. Literally one shot. That's the one shot they fire. Ugh. Ugh. And then you have somewhere between 90 and 99 bullets fired by the cops. That's just horrible. And you have... Ugh. Plenty of people wounded. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it, it goes down pretty much as, as the film describes here. They they go in. Hampton does, according to Deborah Johnson's account, like wake up mm-hmm. slightly. In the film, he keeps his eyes closed the whole time, completely yeah. unconscious. It, she says that he woke up a little bit, like kind of lifted his head and slowly looked toward the door before passing out again. Oh. Uh, and then... Was it was, but during that time was not responsive in any way. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, yeah. I mean, they they go in there. It says it looks like he'll barely make it. They fire two shots, and say he's good and dead now. What the fuck? I mean, just an absolute state-sanctioned execution. Like, yeah. Ugh. I don't. I don't understand how people can like look at this country and be okay with it. But okay. Yeah, it's federally facilitated. Mm-hmm. And it's locally, in the, you know, state and local level, carried out. Yeah. So you can't be like, oh, it was just it was just Hoover being a bad guy or something. It's like, no, everyone was on board with they this. They gave the floor plan to the Chicago PD and they took care of it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it was it was them in terms of executing it because people really didn't know the FBI like connection for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't have known that had people not stolen the COINTELPRO documents. Just horrible. Yeah. The film kind of closes after, pretty much after that, right? They drag his body out. They give O'Neill his money in that last scene. Yeah, they do. They give him a gas station and like 200 bucks or something. Yeah, 300 bucks for O'Neill. Jesus. And yeah, then they do the text roll. They say Mm -hmm. he stayed with the Panthers for a while after that. They cover the girlfriend and the son. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot or maybe didn't know. I don't <laughs> I really should have listened to our episode before this episode. <laughs> it's fine. I had a busy weekend. Yeah, they said that Fred Hampton Jr. and um, Deborah, who now goes by a different name, um, continued in the party and are now part of, what was it? Black Panther? Black Panther Party Cubs. Cubs. That's what it was. Yeah. Which yeah. is a very cute name. <laughs> And then they they go back to the interview and they mm, yeah. they talk they show the real Bill O'Neill and it was just he really sums up what we've been talking about this this contradiction and how he sees himself versus what he actually did. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. It was super weird. And they revealed that you know the documentary aired uh, January fifteenth, 
1990, I think. Mm-hmm. And later that evening, he committed suicide. I mean, a true Judas right there. Yeah, that completes the, the Judas story. Mm, it was ruled a suicide. His wife claimed it wasn't. But what he had done was earlier in the day, he had tried to jump out a window and had been stopped. Ooh. And then he ends up dying by running out into traffic. Oh, my gosh. So probably. Probably, yeah. If you tried once, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. There was also the thing about the civil suit and stuff. They said that mm, when yeah. the peop- the survivors of the firefight, the assassination, mm-hmm. of, we should say, the quote unquote firefight that the Chicago PD <laughs> claimed, which was yeah. them unloading on this apartment. 99 versus one bullets. <laughs> yeah. The survivors of that were charged with attempted murder of the police. What the fuck? They, I think that eventually that's overturned or they just get acquitted. And then later it takes, it's a really long court battle, but they eventually win a civil settlement from the, the city of Chicago, like Chicago PD for what happened to Fred Hampton mm-hmm. uh, for his murder. And one other piece I wanted to add to the film's final crawl there is that we know that O'Neill got the $300 bonus. Yeah. But there has only recently, only just this past month in January 2021, we found out that J. Edgar Hoover uh, wrote a letter to Mitchell, to Roy Mitchell, the FBI guy, Mm, in which he thanked him for his great work in the field in the Chicago operation and gave him a $200 bonus. Wow. Yeah, so he got himself a little something, too. Oh, good. Yeah. Great. They said that Bill O'Neill earned today's equivalent of over $200,000. Oh, in the rest of his years with them and overall? Yeah. yeah. Dang. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. But for (sighs) $200,000, we could have had a people's revolution in Chicago. Right? Man. I mean, that's another thing is... I mean, this is a very obvious, like, quid pro quo version of this. Mm -hmm. But we are every day making that trade-off of, like, I need to make a paycheck, so I'm going to kind of follow the rules and do whatever it is to survive, you know? Yeah. As opposed to putting it all on the line. Like, we are constantly, like, if our material needs were more taken care of, which is why the Black Panthers were trying to do that, we would have time to focus on bigger picture things. That's true. Yeah, and that's... Why even reforms that are aimed at giving people a little bit more of those material needs are fought so heavily uh, or why they push to get everybody back to work as quick as they could is because we don't want people sitting around. You know, we don't (laughs) want to pay people directly. We don't want to give people $2,000 checks because we don't want them in it by any definition a little bit comfortable, comfortable enough to say, could I have it better? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. All right, thoughts on this movie. We've already said a lot of the thoughts, but do you have any more <laughs> in there? I have my final grade. Yeah, oh, give me a grade. Hollywood like never does a movie this radical. I mean, yeah, I guess it's because it's the source material itself. Is you can't unradicalize it too much, <laughs> or it's ridiculous. How would you water you that know? down? Yeah. So I mean, a plus, like a plus. Okay, I guess. Uh, may I could knock it and say just an A because it you know I, like I said it could depict more of the but it's only it's only so long and I think it does a good job of showing you what 
what was Fred Hampton like? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would also give it an A plus or an A. I'm not sure. Um, I think the only reason I would give that the sound quality was occasionally difficult for me to hear mm-hmm. and understand what people are saying. Like, I kind of wish I'd had subtitles on, <laughs> um, but my husband hates subtitles. So yeah, <laughs> did not. But yeah, no, I thought it was really good. I thought like the actors did a fantastic job. Like Daniel Kaluuya is like amazing. Yes. What the fuck? And I think it did a good job holding up kind of liberalism and reform versus like what actually needs to be done. Like, yeah, it was very radical. Like a lot of films about like civil rights people get watered down and mm-hmm. this one did not. Yeah. Because like you said, I don't, I don't know how the fuck the, they would do that. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was pretty great. I was kind of impressed that a movie like this got made, yeah, frankly. Like I was like, who produced this? Like who was like, yeah, I'll put money for this, <laughs> you know? Cuz like so much Hollywood is is gatekeeping, mm-hmm. you know, based on who's going to be willing to produce it and fund it and air it. Like all those things had to happen. Here's a counterpoint. Mm. Not to knock the movie. <laughs> but the studios uh, this was distributed, for example, by Warner Brothers. Mm. What do they stand to lose from publishing something like this? Revo- art doesn't really revolutionize people. Rude. <laughs> I don't know. That's that would be my counterpoint to it. Is that they put put this out because that's what they believe that they believe that it's that that they're not afraid of this movie. Yeah, I think they're banking on enough people seeing it, being like. Oh, that's a bad thing that happened back then and not like connecting the dots, maybe. Or they're banking on people like us watching this film, <laughs> feeling up. good about it and saying, damn, that was cool to see. I love seeing stuff like that. I identify with this and that's it. And then we walk out. Yeah. We and get not a little... moving on and being like, well, I better start the right. new Black Panther. We get our gratification from having seen it, from having seen something that we identify with. We like it. Yeah. And we move on. Yeah. it's a good point. Why? I mean, because why else? I mean, I guess Lennon said that the capitals will sell you the rope that that you can hang them with. But I guess they would do that. But I just think that they're not afraid. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Because I think every time in this fucking shithole time we're in, that something horrible happens, you know, whether it's COVID, whether it's police violence, whether it's, you know, the blackouts we see people getting really pissed and trying to start something. And I'm even impressed with this recent like blackouts. All of the stuff I saw people sharing for donations was mutual aid. And like, that would not have been the case even last year. Yeah. Like, I think people are starting to get that there's a difference in like giving your money to one big guy to like fuck with it and (laughs) actually giving it to communities. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very impressed by that. Good job, everybody. But I I think it's interesting that you still immediately have this reaction of, all right, well, we'll we'll just vote them out and reform it. Like, I saw so many of those bad takes on the internet this week. And I'm like, I can't reform my way out of my neighbor's, like, fucking freezing. Like, that, they need help right now. slow. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me a quote that I missed from Hampton in in the film. When they're Mm -hmm. going to talk to the crowns the very first time, Mm -hmm. and he's talking about, what they're doing, the free breakfast program. Yeah. He says, I'm not talking about handing out turkeys on Thanksgiving. That's charity. Save yes. that for the pushers and the preachers who call themselves doing you a favor after they've sucked you dry. Fuck charity. Oh, I loved that line. <laughs> Ooh, that was my shit. 
<laughs> That's some Galliano shit, and I loved it. Fuck charity. That's from Fred Hampton. <laughs> Fuck yes. Oh. But yeah, no, you're right. Like, we're. I, I agree that we're doing better in terms of mutual aid and stuff like that. But revolutionary potential. I think that Hollywood, at least, has seen that we don't have that. <laughs> They're not even scared. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all pretty ground down when you think about it. Like, I don't. When you think of the people. Uh, it's just this horrible dichotomy of like you have people like us who are like comfortable like sorry yeah <laughs> we're fine we don't we don't have we're, we're not there's not enough on the line for us to go out and like fucking i don't even know what we would do first off and then you have the people who are so materially impacted that they are completely fucking oppressed you know you have your service workers you have your undocumented people and they are all so ground down to the point of they're just trying to fucking live day Mm -hmm. by day i don't think they have the energy to go start a revolution like i just don't think there's enough hours in the day and enough resources you know or enough i don't know i don't think there's enough hope (laughs) like i i don't know (sighs) well i just bummed myself out well (laughs) we could just be you know in a dour mood about it maybe and it's not like they were they didn't have luxuries in Chicago where Fred Hampton was organizing. No, you know, they didn't. And before he was in there organizing, things were shitty and shitty for a long time. Yeah. You know, so maybe we're just in that point before. And at some point, things will change, and, you know, and there will be more revolutionary awareness or things will get shittier and people will be more likely to join in. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we can fucking hope. Have, Maybe I'll take a first aid class so that way I'll be helpful that way and I know how to shoot people. That's a good idea uh, because, <laughs> I mean, people will need to do something. Now, we don't mean to say a street that, medic. Like, we have to wait around for the right type of person to come around because that's just idealism, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess it ends up being about the conditions and I guess the conditions aren't there yet or they're about to be there or something because, I mean, if we're going to be actually like Marxist about it, right? That's what they would say. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we got really close in June. I don't know how many fucking times I've said that on this podcast, but like, I felt I felt a little hope. And I was like, man, everyone's out there. Like, I saw so many like Latinx people supporting it, and I saw like there was this big like solidarity movement, and like it kept yeah. going because like I lived really close to downtown. Like every night, I would hear speeches from my balcony, and it was awesome. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I felt like we had something. Like I, you know. And But then we were talking about it last week, I think, like, you know, we saw immediate results from that for, for a hot minute, like mm-hmm. Minneapolis defunding their police. And yeah. then when nobody's looking months later, that ain't the story. The good news is, though, that, you know, in addition to we can't tell when this is going to happen, the old saying of, you know, history kind of moves at uneven paces, right? You know, it's yeah decades happen in a few in a few days and vice versa. So we could just, you know, plenty of societies have seen failed revolutionary attempts, you know, successively before they see a successful one. So all hope is not lost. It may seem like that from our point of view, but (laughs) currently, but like things could change so rapidly. Oh, yeah. That we don't even know. All right. I hope so. Yeah. Stay hopeful in some way or another, whatever way works for you. Do something. Do whatever you can. Yeah. I'll try to keep radicalizing people, which... That's what we're going to talk about next week. Yeah. Next week, we'll be discussing ways that you can slowly or quickly, depending on where you are in your relationship and stuff, 
radicalize your liberal friends, propagandize communism to the masses, and a few spicy or more collaborative comebacks for when for when people give you bullshit about communism. Yeah, I think there are different comebacks for different situations, and we'll get into that. <laughs> So yeah, this, I would say this is our, our most requested topic. We get a lot of emails of, hey, I'm like a closeted communist in my family. What do I do? And <laughs> stuff like that. And like, I fucking feel for you because I've been there. <laughs> I'm still kind of there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're going to talk about that next week. Cool. And I think that'll be fun. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Well, you know how I'm keeping my hope up right now? Yeah. There's a pizza on my on the way to my oh, house. Oh, hell yeah. I'm so excited about that. So that's that's how I'll <laughs> nourish my soul until the revolution. There you go. All right. So in the meantime, you can get your commie fix online. We are on Instagram at Teach Me Communism, Twitter at Teach Communism. We are on YouTube. If you want to watch the show there, you're not going to see our faces. It'll just be our episode art, just big. Um, yeah. But you can listen to it there. We have an email, teachmecommunism at gmail.com. If you want to send us a question, an episode suggestion for a future episode, give us compliments. Those are always welcome. And if you want to be more public with those compliments, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is like the best way for people to find the show. And I read them and check them on an embarrassing (laughs) basis. Just a lot, a lot. (laughs) So prop up Christine's ego. Please, I need it. They love to read your comments. Yes, I need it. (laughs) We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. For $5 a month, you get access to all of our notes. So for this one, you'll get both of our notes because I took notes while I watched. And Gray, you took more organized notes as usual. (laughs) (laughs) They're not that. They have some links though, which is good. Oh, see, see, you get the sources. And, um... Yeah, at the end of the year, we'll be donating those to a local mutual aid fund. Um, This past year, we donated to Feed the People Dallas, which I was super glad to see they got a ton of funds this week to help people during the blackout. So, like, good job showing up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very happy for them. Yeah, for real. People need that. Yeah. And thanks to those of you who asked how we're doing. We're doing fine. Yep. I feel like a shithead. I didn't even lose power. <laughs> Lots of people were that way. You know, it, it was very uneven. I don't know what the hell was going yeah. on. I thought for sure I would because like my neighborhood is trees all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. It's like hilly. There's trees like, yeah. And also like it, it's like 97% Latino. So I thought maybe like people wouldn't care as much if our if power went out. All, yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of worried about that, but we're fine. Nothing happened. Yeah. It was annoying. We did, but it was just, like I said, rolling and it was steady. So. Yeah. It was like actually rolling instead of the people who said it was rolling and it was hours. It was clockwork. I mean, it was, you know, 30, 40 minutes on, 30, 40 minutes off. My life progressed wow. in a series of <laughs> half hours <laughs> for a while. But yeah, it was just fine. running to chargers. Yeah. That was all. <laughs> it was boring kind of, but man, I was, yeah. you know, I didn't face any of the, luckily we didn't have any pipes burst or anything like that. So yeah, came out unscathed. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad we did. But um, know that people are still recovering from this. So if you got any spare change right now, still send it towards those mutual aid groups. Um, we've been sharing those on social 
if you need a list. In fact, I think we're going to go ahead and scooch our Patreon funds, what we have so far, over to a mutual aid group now, just because they fucking need it. Yeah, it's a crisis now. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, it's it's a close to home crisis. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for watching this movie with me. Well, not personally with me, but yeah, no, that, that, But this was fun. Super great movie. Check it out. Yeah. Like we said. Now that you have all the spoilers. Yeah. Like we said, uh, this is a history movie, so you really can't get too many spoilers. Uh, that's true. If you listen to the, our episode, you already had all the spoilers. So Yeah, that's true. You can watch it with your, you know, socially distant with your friends, you know, just spoil scenes right before they happen. <laughs> I, don't know. I did pause a few times to explain shit to Kyle, so I was that guy. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can watch it on HBO Max. You can steal somebody's account number. You can just straight pirate it. Who cares? Yeah, whatever. Money's fake. Property is theft. Yeah. Well, I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. You can tune in next week for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, guys. Goodbye.